Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Anya Crittenden, associate editor at The Tracking Board, and I'm finally reunited with both of my co-hosts. So who's with me today? Hi, I'm Hwai Chen Bui, a writer for Slash Film. I recently just got hired by the blog. I actually mentioned it on the crossover episode. Um, I also am writing a little bit for Tracking Board uh, and a pop culture journalist in D.C. And I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. So today, our episode will be about the evolution of X-Men. Ha. X-Men evolution, you might say. Um, there have been a lot of new, really interesting and groundbreaking um, entries into the X-Men universe. Uh, they've been uh, separated from Marvel, like the MCU, for a while now, ever since Brian Singer's X-Men in 2000. Yes. Um, so they are kind of their own universe now, and we've been seeing a lot of really interesting um, um, and takes and just like innovative takes on the whole franchise and the just like the characters in general. So we see that in Legion, the new FX show starring Dan Stevens. As um, I like to refer to him, Stan Stevens. Or as I like to refer to him, Bay. <laughs> I thought you were going to say I your husband. Him. He is. He is my. He is Anya's new Bay. Um, he is my newest Bay. <laughs> So the series is six episodes in, and it's um, created by Noah Hawley, who created Fargo, the TV series for FX as well. Um, and it's just like, it's really interesting, just kind of a dazzling and wacky show. Uh, we'll be talking a little bit more about that, but we're also going to be talking about uh, Logan, the newest X-Men um, movie, uh, specifically a Wolverine movie, yeah. and supposedly the last Wolverine movie starring Hugh Jackman, uh, directed by James Mangold, and ta- it just kind of adapts the um, Old Man Logan uh, comic book. So, And it's by far probably the best X-Men movie, if not one of the best superhero movies. I concur. So um, it's uh, clear from now... This will be a spoiler-heavy episode, so if you guys have not seen Legion or Logan, we recommend turning off this episode. Yes, pause it now, go catch up on Legion, go out to the movie theater and watch Logan, and then come back and play. Okay. Exactly. Did you do that, guys? Okay. Now. <laughs> Spoilers. Let's talk X-Men. Let's talk X-Men. Let's talk X-Men. X marks, marks the spot. Oh, God. <laughs> of this podcast. <laughs> you guys can't see me, but I just did a little X. With my yeah. <laughs> with my hands. Do you guys remember in every promotional material from every X Men movie with Brian Singer where they would just have the 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 Wolverine claws just go into an X? It's like I actually don't remember that. They did that all the time. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember that. But honestly, like, how great is it that Brian Singer isn't involved in either of these? I am very technically happy. he is an executive producer. Okay. On <laughs> Legion. And he probably has some credit in Lo- in Logan. Probably, but, but, but creatively he has no no yes, uh, no which there. is good because Brian Singer I think I think is part of the reason why the X Men franchise has been so kind of up and down. Like mm-hmm. you know, credit where credits due, the two thousand film was really kind of groundbreaking at the time, um, and people remember it fondly, and especially X Two. But you kind of look back on those and kind of the things he's done since then with the X-Men, and I don't really like him at the helm. He's sort of like the Zack Snyder of the X-Men universe. Yeah. yeah and he... it's funny because X3, which is normally considered the worst of all the X-Men movies outside of 
X-Men Origins Wolverine. A lot of people hate that movie because it's so bad, but Brian Singer didn't direct it, but he was going to direct it, and then he left to to go direct Superman Returns. Mm-hmm. So but that, And then that's why he made the terrible Days of Future Past. Literally, that movie is so awful, and he created it pretty much just to retcon his own universe because he hated X3 so much, and it's like, dude. But that also brought up a weird thing in Logan for me that I didn't really understand, because Logan at one point references the Statue of Liberty incident yeah. in the first X-Men film, but by Days of Future Past rules, that gets erased. Would that still have happened? He or would it have it. happened differently? He and Patrick Stewart remember it, um, because at the end of De- Days of X-Men Future Past... Uh, <sighs> Patrick Stewart's like, uh, I think you have some, I think you have thirty years of history to fill me in on. So I'm, I'm guessing, I'm assuming at one point, Charles Xavier remembers it, or you know, Lo- Logan tells him about Liberty Island, and then, or he's just, you know, or, and if you think about it, in Logan, he's talking about Liberty Island, and uh, the hotel that Logan goes to is also called like the Statue of Liberty or something. So it could be that he's referencing a future event, but when uh, Logan, Professor doesn't respond to his little quip about Liberty Island being so many years ago. So it's possible that only Logan remembers. It's and this is tell. why you have problems with the X-Men, because it's so complicated. Yeah, we'll, talk, we'll talk a little bit about X-Men. The X-Men franchise, the movie franchise, has one of the worst timelines of any movie series I've ever seen. Um, and a lot of it is on the fault of Brian Singer. Um, so we, Anya touched on this a little bit, but like the X-Men series, X1, X-Men one, x 1 and X2 and X-Men 3, The Last Stand, were some of the first superhero movies in like modern. the modern superhero wave. So they had a lot of just kind of a burden of bringing that into like the mainstream fold and making people take superheroes seriously. So it was very like dark. There were some bits of humor, but they all had like very uncolorful costumes and they were trying to take themselves seriously. Um, and I think like the first two X Men did that well. Um, but it was right around the same time as Sam Raimi's Spider Man's, mm-hmm. which were kind of the opposite. Kind actually, kind of be kind of fun, mm-hmm. and then. So it was like this weird balance, kind of like what we ended up getting with like the Dark Knight and Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Um, so we commend them for doing that. But then um, the series kind of became a mess after X-Men The Last Stand. It got a brief re- reinvigoration with X-Men First Class, which is a great movie. Um, which I will by- argue is the best X-Men movie. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I like it more than Logan. It is directed by Matthew Vaughn, who is your also your baby. So... He is like this one of my beloved directors. He I also a like player that like really works for the X Men too. And we should say before before First Class came out, they had the terrible Wolverine movie. Oh, I forgot about that. Um, that took place. So X Men Last Stand was in two thousand six. Um, Wolverine was in two thousand nine, and then they were like, uh, they were gonna do a whole series of origin movies, and then they took like their basically their Magneto and Charles Xavier one, and turned that into First Class. Mm-hmm. And it did so well that as like a reboot prequel that they basically decided to start the whole X-Men universe over again with that. And then Brian Singer's like, oh, another successful X-Men movie? Let me take that and ruin it. Yeah. Exactly. Like, that's the thing is X-Men First Class is so good, and then Brian Singer had to come in and do Days of Future Past and Apocalypse, and you're like, 
listen, sir, can't I just have nice things with my favorite superheroes? I mean, honestly, I probably like Days of Future Past a lot more than you do, Anya, but X-Men Apocalypse is the shittiest piece of shit I've ever seen. I didn't even bother watching it. So I was, um, when I was on my flight back from Japan, they had the options of some of the movies that came out this past summer. And one of those movies was X-Men Apocalypse. And I just, this is a 16-hour flight. And I was like, I don't even want to put myself through X-Men Apocalypse to try to, you know, fill out this at- take, these hours. Take 16 hours to yeah. 14 hours? Yeah. Because you would have aged five years. I, I haven't seen Apocalypse yet. Um, it's so bad. It's worse. You would hate it, honestly, worse than Days of Future Past. I know. But I have to watch it at some point because James McAvoy is in it and Ooh. Oscar Isaac is in it. And it has one of my favorite X-Men. It has my baby Scott Summers. Yeah, they don't do anything with him. <laughs> but he's in it. Um, That's what I was going to say. Like, Logan, <laughs> I teased on Twitter that I have two very serious gripes about Logan. How serious? Those are various gripes? serious gripes are that one, it's an X Men film without James McAvoy, so how good can it be, okay. really? <laughs> and two, it doesn't have any of my favorite X Men, so it's obviously not that good. Okay. <laughs> I think there's I some that subjectivity total- going on here. All right. What? To continue our, our X-Men timeline. So the X-Men franchise. He's going all over the place <laughs> like yeah. the X-Men franchise. Yeah. So the X-Men franchise was almost uh, kind of at a standstill after Apocalypse. But they brought it back again. Um, we forgot to mention Deadpool. That, that gave it another creative boost. And then Logan this year, uh, as well as the new um, FX series Legion, which is not really connected to the X-Men um, movie universe, but... I think it's kind of given a new start or new like perspective to how to use these characters, to how to like really um, take advantage of like these great characters and like their rich backstories and everything. And they use the word mutant, so we know they're not MCU, which mm-hmm. they are forbidden from using the mm-hmm. term mutant. Um, speaking of these rich stories, I know Anya is a huge X Men fan, more so than me and Will be. Like. We are aware of them. I'm mostly aware of them through the movies, honestly. But Anya loves the comics, and she has her favorites. Please tell us a little bit about that, Anya. Um, you know how I'm not a big Joss Whedon fan? Mm-hmm. Yes. Joss Whedon is who made me fall in love with the X-Men. Irony. Was it his best? Um, because Astonishing X-Men was the first X-Men series I ever read as a kid. And I loved Astonishing X-Men. Mm-hmm. Um, the X-Men were the first superheroes that I ever, like, really fell in love with. And just the fact that they're so rich and diverse, and they kind of represent the group of oppressed people and minorities, and just everything that they go through and how rich their history is, but also very complicated, mm-hmm. as in any comic history, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from there, you know, I watched the animated X-Men Evolution series and watched the movies, and I kept reading the comics. I even read all the terrible comics for X-Men, like Schism, <laughs> all the things that, like, ruin the comics for X-Men. Um, but they're doing pretty okay right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just really love the X-Men because they're some of the most human superheroes for me, just in terms of just what they go through and kind of what they represent. Um, And I have the very unpopular opinion in that I love Cyclops. And I'm not a big Wolverine. I'm not a big Wolverine fan. Um, But I have a lot of other favorites. I actually really love Emma Frost, 
which is also somewhat surprising. Um, but I like Emma Frost when she becomes a good guy, Ooh. and when she becomes a teacher at... She's an anti-hero. Yeah, and she, like, gets with Scott, and she actually really cares about, like, the kids and all the baby mutants. Um, I actually, I have two statues of Scott and Emma. That's cute. Because <laughs> I love them so much. Um, but yeah, they're, I just really love kind of what they represent, and everything that they go through, you know, politically they're really interesting and kind of, like, the way they fit within and against the Avengers mm-hmm. is really interesting, because, like, Wolverine is an Avenger, but some X-Men aren't Avengers, and, like, some X-Men don't like the Avengers, and it's an interesting dichotomy when you have these, like, two massive groups existing in the universe. And didn't they fight um, each other Marvel. recently? They had a big, wasn't there a big comic series? Um, yeah, I mean, there have been a lot of... Well, Schism was kind of a big thing mm-hmm. um, in terms of pitting them against each other, and it kind of, like, so many things happened with that. But it, like, gave five mutants uh, the phoenix power that originally killed Jean Grey. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just created lots of drama and uh, a lot of complications in the universe, but it really did... Uh, the Avengers kind of... You know, they arrested Scott at one point, and it just really put them together. And the X-Men have also been involved in the Civil War events, Mm -hmm. the first one and the second one. So, you know, they don't always see eye-to-eye with the Avengers. So, but yeah, they're just very interesting, and I really love them. So I will say, one of the good things, I think, to come out of, like, the X-Men MCU divide in the movie franchises, I think the X-Men work really well as a universe unto their own. Like, their whole metaphor of oppression, whether it be uh, civil rights when they first came out, or when, um, or, like, gay rights with uh, Brian Singer's movies that that kind of became the overt metaphor. Um, Whatever, like, minority group is often oppressed at the time really works as the metaphor for, like, the X-Men. I think that adds, as a universe unto their own, that really works well, more so than just kind of being thrown in with the Avengers and everything like that. Um, So that's one of the good things, I think, about, like, the movie, I guess, corporate divide it kind of worked in the creative favor it would be way too yeah. many characters mm-hmm. if you tried to yeah it'd be so more. complicated mm-hmm. but, if it was all one universe mm-hmm. but as someone who is so like is so invested and loves these characters so much Anya I feel like you probably have mixed feelings about the movies um, would you say that like these new movies like Deadpool Logan um, the new TV series Legion have they sort of made your the portrayals of your favorite characters or like not your favorite character specifically, but, like... <laughs> but the X-Men. The X-Men in general, has that, like, grown in your favor? I know Justice for James Marsden, who is a great Scott Summers mm-hmm. and deserved to do so much more with him. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, give Cyclops his own movie. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, this new wave has been really exciting for me as an X-Men fan. I, well, it's, I mean, it really started with X-Men First Class, mm-hmm. which is still my favorite X-Men movie of all time. For a lot of biased reasons, but also because I think it's just one of the best and most fun movies. Like, Logan is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, it has better filmmaking than First Class, but First Class is fun. Yeah, First yeah, Class is it is fun. So, like, I like that a bit more. It was just more fun for me to watch. Um, I know you're not into and the then, Tower. The Dark and Tower. Yeah, and Logan's incredible, and it handles it really well. But, mm-hmm. like, if I had the choice, I would choose watching Mutant Babies and their adoptive fathers. 
<laughs> like <laughs> establishing a family, a family. Mm-hmm. like and th- and that's one of my favorite things about Logan was that found family of the mutant babies. Like, give me all the mutant babies. I'm just gonna keep saying mutant babies <laughs> as much as I can, even though they're not actually babies. They are either grown adults or just children who are they're more than, older than babies. <laughs> well, Logan, they were actually they were actually children. Yes, but they were not um, babies. Yeah, and so I was, like, really excited about First Class, and I was like, all right, we're going to, like, reinvigorate the X-Men, and it's going to be really great, and then Brian Singer had to come and stick his sticky fingers into everything again, mm-hmm. and well, was I was like, oh, I'm he jealous yeah. of how successful that First Class was critically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it would have been really fun to see Matthew Vaughn kind of c- continue in a more creative way. I think he was a producer on the later films, but nothing more. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I kind of started to get weary of the X-Men movies again, because they're just so hit or miss. Mm-hmm. And, and they just oh, don't really ahead. know what to do. But yeah, this new kind of like wave um, has been really exciting, but I don't know about... Because I know, I think, there aren't they planning like more movies with like the younger kids from like Apocalypse and stuff? Yeah, I think they're continuing the series with the younger kids, essentially. I heard, I heard there's a rumor that the next one's going to be called Supernova. I'm not sure where, when or where it's going to take place. Um, what are your thoughts on Deadpool, Anya? I really like Deadpool. I think Deadpool's are a lot of fun. Um, it, Even though it's Fox and it does fit into the X-Men universe, it, I don't really consider it an X-Men film. Mm-hmm. Um, even though like there are mutants in it and like they go to the school at one point <laughs> very briefly, it doesn't really feel like an X-Men film to mm-hmm. me um, because... Even though it's like, oh, we are connected, we have references, it's still so removed. Like, you'll never see Deadpool interact with any of the main X-Men characters. Yeah, and like, as a movie, as a movie, it's great, but it doesn't really, I feel like it doesn't really add to the X-Men universe at Mm. large, really. I mean, maybe that'll change with, like, Cable, since he's Nathan Summers, Mm -hmm. and, like, maybe they'll bridge it a little bit more, since he's Scott Summers' kid, but I don't really know. So let's talk a little bit about Logan. Um, yes. So, um, general thoughts on Logan. It was great. It's great. Um, yeah. I loved everything about it. I didn't really have any qualms with it. I thought that the story was great. Um, so we're getting into spoilers. I really liked X twenty four. A lot of people did not. I love. Wait, people didn't like her? No, X twenty four. The twenty. 20- 24. The clone of Wolverine. The clone of Wolverine. Yeah. Oh, see, I, yeah, I didn't like X-24. See, I, I, I liked the idea of him fighting himself. Me too. I always liked I the idea of the dark Me self. too. I mean, like, he's literally battling his demons. He's battling the metaphor he's of his da- own He's rage. battling the manifestation of his demons and also all of the, like, kind of regret from his past And it's life. a younger version. He's literally <laughs> killing a younger version of himself. And this, I think, has to do with the character thing. I don't care for Wolverine's angst. Like, all of his angst, I'm like, get over it, dude. Like, stop being such a grumpy guy. Like, I will say that's interesting, I'm, because Wolverine kind of plays as a sort of lone, you know, Ronin-type Western character. And I know you like Westerns, so I think that's a really interesting dichotomy. I do like Westerns, but I tend not to like the loner, angsty kind of Western guy. Like, I like so stuff like Clint The Magnificent Seven, where they're... Yeah, Clint Eastwood. <laughs> um, um, I like more of the kind of, like, fun Westerns, where they're, like, in a town, and they have, like, a 
community and stuff, and, like, that's why I like Scott so much, is that Scott is very much a family member of the X-Men, mm-hmm. um, and I've never really cared for Wolverine's kind of, like... He's always been the drunk uncle who comes home. <laughs> but he's, like, so... He's so angsty and, like, rude to people for no reason, and I'm like... He's got a lot of issues, <laughs> he, Anya. He does have... That's an understatement. <laughs> but, I yeah, mean, okay, he does, so but I like, like... I liked... I liked the fact that he fought his own demons. I liked X-23 a lot. Mm-hmm. She was great. She was beautiful. Um, I loved the fact that, you know, the father-daughter, father-figure relationship, that's, that's always, like, fun to, like, explore. Um, and then also the father-figure relationship that Logan has with Charles. Like, there's so much found family going on here that it was so exciting. Yeah, the found family stuff in the movie is phenomenal. It and is. It was also a heartbreaking movie because mm-hmm. we saw the death of Charles Xavier for the second and final time. <laughs> second and final time. And uh, if you guys don't remember X-Men The Last Stand, he <coughs> burst into nothing via Jean Grey. And then um, that was rewritten. <coughs> and then uh, he finally dies here. It's heartbreaking and sad because he thought he was talking to Logan, but he was talking to X-24. Uh, honestly, okay. That was actually the most heart-wrenching mo- moment for me, more oh, me so too. than Agreed. Logan's death at the end, because mm-hmm. everyone said that, like, that's the moment when they started crying manly tears. Like, I started crying manly tears during Charles. No, no Charles. that was the part, because, like, that whole part with Charles laying out his heart and, like, you know, ta- talking about his regret and everything that he's, like, all the people that he's hurt, and then, like, finally finding some sort of, like, peace with that, you know, normalcy and the mundanity of the family that they fi- that they stayed with, and then that betrayal in his eyes once, like, once he re- Once. He, re- he sees the man that he's known for 17 years, mm-hmm. or more than that, mm-hmm. uh, in the kill timeline, mm-hmm. kill him. And, like, at some point, at like, at, in that moment, it almost feels like Charles feels like he deserves it, too, because, you know, he was talking about all yeah. the regret and all the things that, he, that he's done that he regrets. So it feels like, wow, this is the punishment that I received and that I deserve. But at the same time, it's just such, such, a, such a moment of betrayal. I love all of the emotions that are just, like, brimming underneath the surface in that moment. And it's the moment that just, like, mm-hmm. really made the movie for me. More so than, like, you know, all the Logan angsting, all of the found family stuff. That was the moment in terms of, like, the buildup of all of the series for me. Yeah, well, and I think that kind of as a whole sequence, mm-hmm. like, when you put it all together, is most, most heartbreaking. Because, like, everything you said, but also, like... Earlier when Laura had watched, like, Logan carry Charles into the mm-hmm. room, into bed, mm-hmm. and, like, that, like, that just, there was such a beautiful, quiet moment mm-hmm. of, like, seeing how much these men care about each other, um, and then also the fact that when X-24 does kill Charles, and, like, how immediately Laura attacks X-24, and mm-hmm. she's yeah. so, up she's barely known Charles, mm-hmm. but she feels safe with him, and it also, like... <laughs> I started, like, really crying when Logan found Charles and, like, yeah. picked him up and, and he was said, saying, like, it, it, wasn't wasn't me. Me. it wasn't me. Yeah, that was the moment. That Charles was so alive, so yeah, he was like, it wasn't, wasn't me. me. Oh, God, yeah. that was, that moment, it broke my heart. Yeah, same. I will say, I actually have not seen any of the previous Wolverine movies, but this, I went into this movie and, like, completely was blown away, and it, like, really sold me as a movie on its own. Mm-hmm. Like, as a story of, like, this... You know these people who are li- older in life, older in life, and they're like filled re- with filled with regret, and they get this chance for redemption in Laura, and I really like that that kind of message of um, just like redemption. The children are our future. The children are our future. It's very children of men, I will say. Oh, totally. That's why I like this movie a lot because I saw a lot of shades of 
westerns like i said before but also children of men and like that idea of optimism and optimism and hope for humanity despite the overwhelming odds and all of like the bleak the bleak nature of that world and it's interesting that people are calling this a dystopian movie it's not really it's just for the mutants a dystopian mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. no no new mutants have been mit- born in 25 years due to um, the bad guys mm-hmm. putting things in the food so that, that's a misnomer, I think, when people are like, the post-apocalyptic movie. I'm like, no, they're just in the desert. I mean, it does feel post-apocalyptic, <laughs> though. They're just in the desert. Yeah. It does feel very post-apocalyptic, though, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Um, because I, I expected it to be more, like, Mad Max-style post-apocalypse. But, but it's it really was, just for mutants. It's just for mutants. But it was also, it was still bleak in the sense that, like, you, with all the mutants gone, the rest of the world has kind of fallen into this sort of dystopic mindset. I guess I will say it's very just like Although Las cynical. Vegas seems okay. Well, even even so, like I see remnants of like a lot of future tech sort of dystopic dystopic uh, things, like you know, very Blade Runner, like you know, technology mm-hmm. is is thriving, but people aren't exactly you know living their best their lives. best lives. Yeah, um, that makes sense. The only chance, the only thing that we see um, of like a normal human family who's just like kind of trying to do their best is the the family that Charles and um, Logan and Laura run into and like help out later on but even they are struggling so I yeah. feel like it's it's not dystopic in the truest sense of the word but I feel like in the tone mm-hmm. it's dystopic it's very bleak and it's very like I don't know like not yeah. incredibly unrealistic true mm-hmm. um, and then at the end when people when Logan dies and he says this is what it so this is what it feels like. A lot of people are talking about that meaning, <clears throat> meaning family. I thought it meant death. I thought it meant death too, actually, because there are so many times in which he, you he, know, escaped. Death. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he, yeah, he was like a mortal. For immortal, exactly, but like everyone, when everyone talks about that quote on the internet, they're always talking about the fact that, you know, he's like holding Laura's hand as he's dying, and he he realizes, you know, this is what it means like to have someone who cares about you. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. But also, he's never died before. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, for me, the one gripe I do have for this movie is, as much as I like Laura and her relationship with Logan and Charles, I never really saw her, like, bought into her seeing Logan as her father figure. Um, and, like, they, he accepting her as his daughter. I, I, agree. Like, I think she saw Charles as more of a father figure. I agree, figure. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, just because she comes from Logan's DNA. And, like, yes, by the end, she does, like, end up, like, uh, like developing this affection for Logan mm-hmm. and, like, a care for him. And she's upset when he dies, which I, I understand. I, I agree. I never really saw that kind of, which is fine. It's not, like, yeah. a problem I have. I really like Laura and Charles' relationship. And I like Laura and Logan's relationship for what it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which was um, not a father-daughter thing, but it was, like, it was a different, yeah. it was one of mutual respect. Mm-hmm. Kind of, like, exactly. two warriors meeting yeah. together. And I think, to Willoughby's point, like, with the whole, like, this is what death feels like versus family, mm-hmm. like, this isn't the first time that Logan has had affection for someone or had affection shown back to him. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. his relationship with Laura is pretty similar to his relationship with Rogue in the yeah. first X-Men film. Which, is, which I always so, love. They always do that with Wolverine. They always give him, like, a daughter figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it and it and that is one of the things I do like about Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, you know, we've seen the fact that, like, it's not, like, a an arc for Wolverine to be, like, oh, I'm gonna, like, let someone into my hardened heart and care about them. He I'm like, that's that not time. anything new. Yeah. We've seen mm-hmm. him do that multiple times before. Like, yeah. I get it. Like, he has a gruff exterior and he cares deep down. Like, that's mm-hmm. not a new storyline for Wolverine. 
So, like, continuing his relationship with Charles, to me, was more interesting than his relationship with Laura. Yeah. No, I see Because there that. was history there, and it was, I think it was developed really well. I found his relationship with, relationship with Laura interesting in that Logan had basically given up on the world, and, you know, yeah. he was basically waiting to die because the um, adamantium inside him was killing him, so he was just kind of waiting for, like, you know... That, and for Charles to die, too. For Charles to die, so, like, they could go on the boat and just kind of, you know, do a very Valhalla-type... Um, a boat. Death. A Viking like funeral. funeral. Viking funeral, exactly. So I felt like that was really poignant for me. That was just like these two old men who are done with life and like waiting to die and finding that redemption in Laura. And he puts Charles yeah. near water because he wanted to be near water when he dies. It's so great. So There's so many little details in that movie that just like work so well. So, exactly. Mm-hmm. And like, um, so yeah, I think, I think. It's. I think honestly, Wolverine's last line is more about accepting yeah. death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, do we have any final thoughts on Logan, or should we move on to Legion? I, I wonder how much Logan will impact the X Men movie franchise, movie series. I don't, know. I, gotta, I don't think it will. I, I will. I hope it will because it really stepped up its quality in terms of like superhero storytelling. A lot of people have been comparing it to The Dark Knight in terms of like transcending that genre and I really think it does do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like and I I don't know how much it will impact it because like this is the end for Wolverine. I don't know like if they will bring it for on. A Wolverine. For a Wolverine. That's true. But it's also in the future too, so it's kind of disconnected from the rest of the yeah. movies. Yeah. So who knows if it will impact it, but I do think Hopefully, in terms of quality. In quality, yeah. Maybe not in terms of the story, mm-hmm. as like the as like what happens in the story of the X Men, mm-hmm. but in terms of the other producers at Fox going, kick, you know, kicking themselves into saying, okay, maybe we should actually like do good movies. Yeah, I don't know. As long as Brian Singer's at the helm, I don't yeah. think we're going to see much of a difference in quality. <laughs> the only thing I don't, I hope, doesn't happen is you know the rated R um, component. Agreed. Yeah. I hope that doesn't mm-hmm. continue yeah. for everything. I think it, it was. Just, I think it worked for Wolverine. It worked for Wolverine. Because he does have those sharp claws that can just chop off everything. <laughs> yeah. But, like, it wouldn't make sense to have, like, Scott Summers and Jean Grey and Nightcrawler. And, like, all these guys, like, you know, swearing and cutting people's heads off mm-hmm. and then, like, going to high school. Like, no. Yeah. I was cynical <laughs> yeah. when Wolverine, well, when Logan announced that it was doing a rated R um, rating because it happened soon after Deadpool. Um, so I was just like, oh, I don't really know. But, like, it seems like a trend. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about it actually in a podcast like a year ago. Yes, all about rated our movies. Yeah, but it, it works really well for Logan. Also, um, you get to hear Charles Xavier say fuck. And I'm, <laughs> so, glad they, I'm so glad they let Charles Xavier say mm. fuck. <laughs> One of my gripes, though, is that they kind of overdo it with fuck. They kind of, I'm just like, oh, okay. Yeah. You well, guys like, are like. We're rated R. We're going to say fuck. <laughs> I know. I was just like, okay, you guys. You don't have to, you yeah, don't have to do that, that was, too much. Yeah, that was my, my only other gripe was that, like, I think this movie could have been like 10, 15 minutes shorter if they had just shaved down some of the action sequences. The action was awesome. I just felt like some of them went a little bit too long in the sense that I was like, okay, I'm ready to like have the story keep moving along. Yeah. Um, it wasn't like a huge thing. I just felt like shaved down just a couple of them just by a little bit and it would have been like the tightest film I think the opening, ever. the opening fight sequence did establish what Wolverine was doing. Now, um, it could have been a little bit shorter. We all really love Logan. Yes. A lot. Um, and it's very different from the other series we're going to be talking about, which is Legion. Mm-hmm. 
they're both kind of a new style for the X-Men universe, and they're both, they go to, like, darker places, um, but they are very different, primarily because they're dealing with a mutant who is not violent in the way that Wolverine is, so you have, like, that difference, but just kind of in this universe that Noah Hawley has established. So we should just get into Logan, Legion. <laughs> Let's get into Legion, um, which, as HT said, is an FX series by Noah Hawley. Uh, the main character is David Haller, who's played by Dan Stevens, a.k.a. Willoughby's favorite, Stan Stevens. <laughs> and he is a telekinetic and telepathic mutant who, mm-hmm. in the comics, is the son of Charles Xavier. Whether or not that is going to be the same in the series, we don't know yet. Yeah, they We do. have had no reference to other mutants in the comics universe besides David. Yeah. Um, and so, basically, kind of the premise right now is that he... The series started with him in a place called Clockworks, which was basically a psychiatric hospital... And he ends up going with this group. What are they called again? Uh, I have no idea. They, I don't know what. Oh, they're... Division Three. No, no, Division Divi- Three is the um, the, bad the government. Guys. The bad guys. Yeah, the government. They find him. The... No, no, but he goes with uh, in Summerland, right? Summerland, Summerland is yeah. the Summerland. Place. So he goes to Summerland, yeah. which is like where other supernatural people are, other mutants, and they're kind of like sort of like a found family but less affectionate. Yeah. They're like this weird TV <laughs> version of the of the of Charles Xavier School for Gifted. Yes, exactly. <laughs> a darker, more twisted version. Mm-hmm. And so David is there with them with his love interest Sid, who has a power similar to Rogue ish and that she can't touch people or else she will hurt them and she can also switch bodies with mm-hmm. them. Yeah, I don't can she hurt is Sid does Sid hurt people or is it she just switches she bodies? She just switches bodies. So it's like, but she does have like some sort of like power to. Well, it seems like when they switch bodies, it, they like react to it and they like get flown backwards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so David's with them, and they're trying to kind of figure out who David is and exactly what his powers are, um, because in the comics, David has the ability to kind of create personalities, hmm. uh, sort of like a schizophrenic. Um, and in the series, he originally thought that he just had schizophrenia before he realized he was a mutant. Um, and so right now, they're, the whole kind of plot is basically just, like, battling David's inner demons, literally. Yeah. And figuring out kind of who he is and, like, letting him be himself and kind of freeing him from this, like, mental prison that he's been placed into. So the title Legion is actually, um, well, it's the name of the mutant, uh, of David's... Um mutant self, I guess, and it's a reference to, I think, a biblical story in which uh, there was a man who had, like, who was possessed by many demons, so when, uh, I think, like, someone asked what his name was, he said, I am Legion, because he's a legion of several, like, demons encompassing one body, and that's, I think, the the reference to, like, David's schizophrenia and, like, his multiple personalities as well, mm-hmm. although schizophrenia and uh, multiple personalities is not the same thing. They're different. No. Mm-hmm. And yes. also, uh, we should say that a lot of David's demons are played by Aubrey Plaza, mm-hmm. who I think is actually doing a really good job. In this. She is wonderful. The best part of the series, honestly. Yeah. Like this show is the first thing to finally um, take advantage of her sort of terrifying weirdness. Yeah, I mean, Parks and Rec does a good job of that. Mm-hmm. Like they really steered into that skid mm-hmm. in like the later seasons of, mm-hmm. like they made her not just be like. Um, 
a Daria type character. A Daria character, mm-hmm. character but like like post goth. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like what she's doing in in this one, where she's basically the personification of David Stevens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I was concerned at first in the first episode um, because of her character's death or what we think is her death. It, mm-hmm. The thing with the show is that since David is such an unreliable narrator, not you can't be sure that everything is a one hundred percent like happening in reality happening or it's going to stay that way because david also has the ability to change reality mm-hmm. so you never know if like this will actually remain the reality or if he will change it at some point but i was concerned because i didn't the idea of her like being killed off i was like that's not cool and now she's like evolved into this like demonic presence in his yeah. mind and she's she like is doing a wonderful yeah. job she's mm-hmm. so good because some people know David's friend Lenny as David's friend Benny, who is a 40-year-old man. Mm-hmm. And then some people see Lenny, who is Aubrey Plaza's character, but we also know that David thought he had a dog as a kid. Wasn't wasn't that wasn't a dog. There was no dog. It was mm-hmm. a, his demon again. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also like the yellow-eyed monster, like fat guy, that like is like the true version, probably, of what the character, mm-hmm. of, of what his like parasite looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and but most of the time, it, that character, that demon, is personified by Aubrey Plaza. Yeah. And the most recent episode, which was the the uh, the episode where they all go into David's mind, thinking they're in a psych, and it, they're back at Clockwork. Right. He like she, entraps them in his mind or something like that. Yeah. But well, actually, Lenny does. Aubrey Plaza's like character the, It does. ended with him and Sid in the forest, and they were about to be shot by mm-hmm. the Division Three guy, mm-hmm. and then Lenny comes up behind them. And then they go into David's mind. They're, like, now trapped in a prison yeah. in his mind. That was the entire episode mm-hmm. this past week. And, yeah, and there, there was this really interesting, almost James Bond-style dance number with Aubrey Plaza. I love that dance So number. great. I was like, this yeah. is so good. weird. I mean, like, Legion has had weird moments, but I'm like, that was one of the weirdest. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked it, though. It was, it was very cool. Yeah. So I think, like, I have mixed thoughts on legion i same i yeah i I tweeted about this actually and i think you all you both liked it but i was saying that i think i like it but there's nothing that's keeping me rooted in the story i feel like or like invested in the story really i just kind of i'm very dazzled and intrigued when i'm watching the episode and i was like that was a really great piece of television but there are no characters or really any like driving story that keeps me wanting to watch episode to episode. It's just like because it's so unreliable that I think that they're kind of throwing too much style at the screen and not enough substance. Yeah, I completely agree. I think I'm sort of parsing out the larger narrative mm-hmm. of just like defeating David's par- like demonic parasite and yeah. like basically freeing him is going to maybe be the overarching thing as well as. Hopefully freeing Jermaine Clement, because I need more Jermaine in my life. (laughs) Always one episode is not enough. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I think that's what we're seeing as the kind of larger thing. But I agree, it's... The narrative isn't anchored to anything, and it's... They're not as committed to it in each episode. Like, sometimes they make progress, and sometimes it's just, like, an Mm -hmm. hour of aesthetic... And yeah. the aesthetic is really good. That's like, Noah Holly is, is so good with it. But this show I need more. Is one of the, this show is one of the most beautifully cinema, cinema beautifully shot movies, <laughs> TV shows, uh, since Fargo season two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm always a big fan of like what they're doing with with the 
cinematography and the editing, and I like how everything blends in with each other. They do a lot of that, like, you know, cert, like windows will go out uh, out of frame and it'll turn into something else. And they go between like widescreen and um, I like that. Yeah, like they, you can see them like widening yeah. or like narrowing the shot sometimes. Yeah, like when David went into the astral plane, that's mm-hmm. what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, there's a lot happening visually in this show that I think is really cool. Um, Plot-wise and character-wise, I could not give a shit. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm, and that's I'm a like, problem. I do like that they introduced the idea of, like, the other personality or being, like, a, a parasite or, mm-hmm. like, a different mutant that's lashed on to David. Um, that's the most interesting thing, that's interesting, thing but in the show right now. They introduced it in the last episode, in six episodes in. And you kind of got the feeling that was good, that they were hinting towards that throughout the last five episodes, but it's just, like, it's too little too late. Um, I did like, though, at the end of the last episode that they had, you know, David stuck in that box, you know, like, his perso- his personality or, like, his mind stuck in that box, and you hear all these voices, so you assume that, like, he is, in fact, Legion, that there are other personalities in there as well. Yeah. Um, but the acting on the show, across the board, is fantastic, and I will say, like, they bring interesting things to the show, like, the, um, that's another problem is I know no one's names besides Lenny, David, and Sid. Mm-hmm. Um, the people who it's the older man and then like the younger woman who's like in. I him, like their characters. Oh, yeah. Um, Carrie and Carrie. Carrie and Carrie. Yes, oh. Carrie and Carrie. They're really interesting. I really like them and kind of the relationship they've established between them, the two of them. But it, it's not enough. Like yeah. I can watch their dynamics and like it at the time, but I feel no like, attachment or kind of this, like, desire to see what happens because they haven't really delivered on that front yet. Um, I do want to give a shout-out, obviously, to Dan Stevens. I think he's doing a really good job as David. It's so different from anything we've seen him do. Like, we're Mm -hmm. used to seeing Dan Stevens do, like, romance and, like, British period pieces and kind of be, yeah, be that British actor, and this is so different, and I think he's doing a phenomenal job. I like him a lot, and I wish that, like, I could root for him more, or at least, like, he could anchor the show better, Um, but that's not his fault. It's just, like, the writing, I think, because, like, the character is so inconsistent as well, because also in the last episode, he isn't um, David for the majority of it. He's actually... uh, Lenny. Lenny. He's like, yeah, his body is, um, what was, it was the last episode? It was the episode before. The episode before. Episode five, yeah. He was, taken over he was like, Lenny. possessed by Lenny, yeah. So it's like, I mean, I, I like that that's obvious and that you could see, like, he just had, like, a permanent smirk the entire time. I will say that sequence where he's, like, they see the security cameras mm-hmm. of, like, the, what had just happened mm-hmm. and he's, like, going through and, like, killing all these security guards from Division Three, mm-hmm. and he's, like, got this, yeah, permanent smirk on mm-hmm. his face. I'm like, holy shit. Like, this guy... He's- this he's guy, really good. He could play, like, a good version of, like, the devil Mm-mm. and be really good at it. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I think those are our thoughts on Legion. Do we have anything else to add? Um, so what do you guys think Legion could mean? Well, one thing I want to add, actually, is I think Legion really takes advantage of, uh, really showcases how to portray, like, X-Men and their powers in a really interesting and innovative way. Um, because, you know, we see that in the X-Men series. It's very kind of, you know, we see these really great powers that are cerebral, like Jean Grey's, but they are kind of just, like, push things or, you know, mm. big bolts of light or that kind of thing. But 
I think, yeah, or just like claws or just like people being shot by, by rays. But I think that Legion does a really interesting depiction of um, just kind of like these really weird and crazy surreal powers. I like the guy who can do go into memories. Yes. I like the whole, like, the transition, too, between Carrie and Carrie. Like, when she comes out, you can see, like, her hand on top of his hand. And I think that's a really cool, almost horror movie way of depicting it. So I like that, like, they really go all out for, like, depicting these powers and making it as weird as it is, like, in the comics, for example. Um, So, yeah, I like like that. That's, like, one of the things I think Legion brings to the X-Men characters in general. It's just, like, it really makes it... interesting to watch. I don't think we'll ever see anybody in blue makeup, though. Probably not, no. no. They're all human, still. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just, I don't think this is gonna have an effect. You think it? On, I don't, because I think it's so far separated, and I think everyone kind of knows it. Like, mm-hmm. Noah Hawley isn't trying to tie it to the larger X-Men franchise. I don't think in the movies they're gonna try it, tie it to Legion. It would be too complicated. It wouldn't mm-hmm. really work and so I think Legion is just kind of its own thing and I think that I think that's fine mm-hmm. because uh, you wouldn't want Legion to try and cater to the movies because it would ruin what Legion is trying to do and the movies can't really do what Legion's trying to do they're telling different stories right. and so I think Legion is its own thing I think it I think it's good creatively as a whole because I think it introduces a lot of new ideas and new techniques and things like that, but I don't think it's going to have much of an impact on kind of the movies or the universe sort of going forward. I think it's just going to remain its own thing. It's kind of funny because we're talking about this new evolution for X-Men, but honestly, how much of an evolution is it? Because they're so separate, they're such separate entities from like the larger X-Men movie universe. Um, I mean, I hope that these creative sparks um, will have some greater effects on like how we see X-Men on the big screen, but yeah. I mean, who knows? I'm hoping, my hope is that, I think I talked about this when we were talking about Logan, that these new endeavors into TV and uh, almost like quote-unquote prestige style mm-hmm. like superhero movies, that they just take the, the quality and filmmaking that they're like skills that they're learning doing mm-hmm. these and bringing it into the larger X-Men universe Take Brian Singer off. Mm-hmm. Take Simon Kinberg off, for God's sakes, too. And then yes. bring in, bring in, bring back Matthew Vaughn. You know, do someone that who can invigorate um, the X Men. Anya, I know you don't like Joss Whedon, but I think Joss Whedon could do a good X Men movie. He could, I think, because he's. I mean, he's very familiar with the work. I have no comment. Whedon, if anything, is great with character work, mm-hmm. and he's really good with. Ensembles. I have no comment okay. on that. Well, Anya. <laughs> well, refer back to our ex, our Joss Whedon debate episode in which Anya uh, really tells us how she feels. Um, but for now, we'll just say that Joss Whedon does good character work. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, speaking of Brian Singer, he will be spearheading another X-Men TV series. It's supposed to be set in the movie uh, universe. Okay. Um, so it's called Gifted. Yes. Um, it's on Fox. We don't really know much about it yet. Uh, what do you guys think about it? Do you think, do you have hopes for it? Do you kind of like, because it's Brian Singer, yes. you're just like, eh. He's a good producer. Like, he produced House. There's, he's a good, he's good at producing TV, 
not as a showrunner, but just as like a financer. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that he could do a good job with this. I don't think it'll be good. Anya? Yeah. I mean, I think we'll just kind of have to wait and see. But I don't really trust his vision of the X-Men. You know, he's proven himself in the past several years. Um, and I don't really know what to make of it. I mean, granted, TV shows are such collaborative efforts. So there's... I'm. And he may not be even... Going to try and have give it an open mind. Is he the showrunner, or is he just the director of the first episode? I am not sure about that. Because that's yeah, a big I'm not thing. Sure that's a big thing. Because, yeah. like, he may have... He may put his, like, aesthetic stamp on it, and then go off. Like, that's what David Fincher did with House of Cards. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. And I've, I think the plot of it, I've heard, is that it's about these two non-mutants, uh, like, taking care of a mutant who is hunted by the government. Mm-hmm. So your classic X Men story, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and I think that could either be good, you know, dynamic wise or terrible. I will say I think TV is a good medium for the X Men, just mm-hmm. because there's so many characters, and it's hard to tr- correct. It's hard to uh, depict them well. Um, such a big ensemble on movie screen, but mm-hmm. on TV you can really focus and hone each character. Um, through a series of like episodes and arcs and everything like that, so and animation too. And they've animation. had a lot of an- they've been, there was the X Men the animated series. There's X Men Evolution. There was Wolverine in the X Men. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they have they've had success on on the on the small screen, but just mm-hmm. uh, with uh, cartoons. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's a good way to wrap up our X Men Evolution discussion um, to be seen whether it's actually an evolution or whether it's just a really just great a time for X-Men right now. Blip on God's radar. Yep. Alright, and let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. Alright, um, Tanya, why don't you go first? Tell us about you really like this week. So, I was going to do a little Disney film that came out recently, but I'm going to save my thoughts for next week's episode, so stay tuned, friends. But what I actually really like this week, and it will not be the last time I really like this for the year, because I really like American Gods. Because I saw the pilot at South by Southwest. Lucky. And it is incredible. I am already calling it that it could very well turn out to be my favorite piece of entertainment of 2017 in general, across the board. Oh, goodness. Like, movies and TV and everything. It's it's wonderful, and it really shows how Brian Fuller and Neil Gaiman they complement each other so well. Like, Brian Fuller visualizing Neil Gaiman's expansive world of cultures and faiths and religions with, like, his dark humor and the really crazy things that happen in American Gods, Brian Fuller does it so well. And it's a perfect marriage of these two really great creators, um, who are just two of my favorite creators in general. So I haven't been able to stop thinking about the pilot since I, I saw it. I saw it a week ago yesterday. Oof. And we I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. was at South by Southwest when she saw it. Yes, and she yes. was reporting out South by Southwest. She was there for her job at the tracking board. I was. cool and journalism so. Yes. And I got a pair of American Gods sunglasses. Nice. Ah. And I saw the whole cast and Brian Fuller 
and it was just I've had a really good experience with this show already from like Comic-Con to this and I'm just so excited about this show and I I love that the pilot already kind of is satisfying and promises a lot of great stuff going forward. There were a lot of really cool tidbits that I learned at South by Southwest. Like, mm. Brian Fuller, they had um, they auditioned people for roles that, like, didn't necessarily exactly match the ethnicity or cultural background of the characters, and Neil Gaiman put his foot down and was like, you can't do this unless mm. you cast people who are exactly where that character is from, which makes sense because the whole point of American God is, like, the convergence of various cultures and religions and faith systems and... You know, it's a very diverse book that covers a lot of different cultures and the fact that they're so committed to that diversity. You know, Brian Fuller said at the panel, at the Q&A, he said, this show isn't colorblind, it's color-focused. Like, mm. they are purposely casting people of color. Yeah, and that's, that's interesting because Shadow doesn't really know his parents, but he is a person of color. Well, we know his mom was black. Um, and Ricky Whittle, Whittle is great. Ian McShane is going to be a scene stealer Oof. as Mr. Wednesday. I cannot wait. Um, and uh, so is Pablo, Pablo Schreiber as Mad Sweeney is really fun. So when does it premiere for the rest of us plebeians? Yeah. Premieres on April 30th on Stars. Okay, thank you, Anya. Willoughby, what does your really like this week? Well, it's a tale as old as time. Uh, I watched Being the Beast yesterday with my girlfriend. It was so magical and so fun. And just, it gave me a lot of joy. Like, it's a full-on musical. It's not what Jungle Book did where they half-assed the songs. It's not, like, what, you know, it's not, like, the most recent Disney remakes where they haven't really been doing the songs. Mm -hmm. This is, like, full-on a musical. Like, people break out into song, just like they do it on, like, in a stage play, in the animated movie, and then they go back to talking normally. And it's so fun. Emma Watson can sing and it's amazing and she's such a great singer I'm sure they did they probably did some tweaking to make her sound perfect or maybe she just rehearsed a bunch but she sounds amazing uh, same with Luke Evans Josh Josh Gad scene stealer I love him as, as always like he is he's so funny so good like he's basically the audience surrogate he makes jokes that we would make like off to the side about Gaston or you know the entire like whatever like he's talking he goes like you know, you have that certain je ne sais quoi. And then Gaston's like, I don't know the meaning of the word. <laughs> like, total, it sounded exactly like Scott Pilgrim. And so it, Josh Gad was great. Like, Dan Stevens as the Beast gave such a great amount of humanity to uh, to the Beast. Um, That's, more, like, all I'm going to talk about next week. Yeah, so I won't, go into, like Dan I won't go into a lot of it now. When, when uh, Willoughby mentioned Dan Stevens, Anya was just, Beaming. Like, <laughs> there's this, there's a moment when they talk about Shakespeare, and it's completely... Shh, don't say too much. I know, I know, but it's just so Because cool. it was surprising, and it was really sweet, and I really want HT to be co- totally surprised by yes. it. I have not watched it yet, but we are going to be reviewing Beauty and the Beast next week on our podcast, yes. so stay tuned for so that. I, I think it. HT will love all the book stuff. Yes. I won't I won't go into more detail, because that would be spoilers, but I mean, it's the ba- same basic premise of... Beauty and the Beast, the animated movie. Um, and Be Our Guest is amazing. And Ian McGregor. So, yeah. Uh, Beauty and the Beast is my really like. Okay. Thank you, Willoughby. Um, so my really like for this week is I was kind of working from home, a little sick, 
but not completely. I just have a terrible cough. It also snowed. And it snowed as well. So I had time to binge a series on Netflix that I had, was not able to do until now. Um, I'm really late on this. It's The People versus O.J. American Crime Story. American Crime Story. Um, so I loved it. It was completely... It was amazing how well written and acted it was. And I actually am hit or miss with Ryan Murphy. I don't really like Glee. Glee. I mean, the first no. season of Glee was great, um, but it was pretty But terrible. then after, no. Yeah, I watched a little bit of Scream Queens. It was a little bit too just satirical and Ryan Murphy for me. Um, I actually, I'm hit or miss on Feud as well. Like, I like it, but I feel like there's some two Murphy-ish camp moments for me that I've not completely bought into it yet. But People vs. OJ, I was very surprised that it actually came from Ryan Murphy at all because it's very subdued for him. But it just, it's so well written and it does, it tackles the issues of um, that of race that played into the OJ Simpson trial in the 90s so well. So much more well than I thought like he could really tackle it. I was like, this could potentially have been problematic because, you know, it is a it is a white gay man who is trying to tackle um, these issues of uh, systemic racism in the LAPD, um, as well as just, like, the, the racial tensions that were, like, simmering for a lot of the 90s. So, as well as, like, the gender stuff. Like, and with the gender the stuff, The idea too. of, like, Nicole and also with Marsha Clark mm-hmm. and everything that she went through, just everything that he tackled in the series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love the depiction of Marsha Clark. Sarah Paulson... Uh, was amazing, and she deserved the wins that she got for it, and I was really worried for her um, getting lung cancer, honestly, because she smoked so much in that series. I have an important question for you, HT. Like Willoughby and I, even though it was, like, a real story, and it was, this was, like, not the overarching plot, did you also really want Marsha Clark and Chris Darden to get together? (laughs) I was shipping it. I was just like, man, no wonder everyone was gossiping about it back in the 90s I was like man they were just like so when much tension those, those moments Ryan Murphy just, made us ship it they mm-hmm. steal looks from each other mm-hmm. and then in their office and they have a bottle of whiskey and you're like oh things can go from here I mean I did like the romance but I also like that it didn't undercut their whole um, professional relationship profe- not the professional relationship but like their whole conflict that they had over the case and you know Chris, Chris Darden's sort of arguments about like you know, race is a big, bigger factor than this than you think, and her kind of stubbornness against that. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you know, I like that they weren't see they weren't depicted as blivering in idiots or like really conniving on either side. Like both sides are p- depicted so well and so realistically. Well, not realistically, but so like with such complexity. Um, even Robert Shapiro, who was just like. Josh Fulton was just oozing sleaze the entire time. He was a really great character as well. And I love Johnny Cochran. Like, his character was amazing. Because, you know, like like I was saying, like, all the characters have such complexity. And it's just, like, it's so well done. So I didn't even realize Chris Darden and Johnny Cochran worked together. I did not know that either, yeah. So, yeah, so, speaking of character work, some of the best character work I've seen on TV was in People vs. OJ. And I loved it. So... That is our episode. If anyone has any thoughts on X-Men, the larger universe, or Logan, or Legion, definitely come chat with us. And if you have any thoughts on American Gods, Beauty and the Beast, or The People vs. O.J. Simpson, you should definitely come hit us up. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Falcon Podcast, um, where our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. 
You can find us on SoundCloud and iTunes and Google Play, where you can rate, review, and subscribe to us there. And where can they find you guys? You can find me at HTNBooey on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. Bye.